last time on Bass Funk. This box is important to me. It's something that I need to do. A mistake I need to correct. That's that's all it is, all right? And Raven's stern is hung in the town square. I guess also there was temperance, which that one I was kind of unsure on. I don't think I've ever pulled temperance on anyone in here. I just don't see why you would follow Claire. So this is going in a mutiny direction. Oh, yes. I would like it if you went off and did cool hero stuff and then came back and saved me. But I'm also an adult who can save myself if I need to. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's that. Is that how that works? You find the leader of the lilies, you just kill the current leader and everyone just does what you say? Uh, If you get to meet the orb, I can make a new barrier. Of course, Warden is not going to like you taking his orb. Did we know what happened to the mask Eric the Great used? I need it to help somebody in Ilium. Claudia says, what do you want for it? What's the catch? (laughs) You guys deserve a happy life, regardless of whether we stand on different sides of this or not. Neither of us leaves unless we both sort our stuff. Correct. All right, let's do this. And I grab Roland's hand and start heading for the mirror. Why are you being so weird? I don't know who to trust. Who are you? It's me. And <laughs> she throws back her hood and it's Grace Rosemary. We got an orphan, a child abuse victim, someone who was tortured and kicked out of their home, and I guess just a murderer? <laughs> uh, hey, she's a complicated character. A swampy murderer, That's uh, but that's hey. not really a depressing. Hey, I'm just saying swampy is a descriptive term, not as a derogatory term, okay? You say a very lonely swamp person. Thank you. All right, so the last episode ended with Grace visiting Dora in her spooky mansion. She came in disguise. She said she wants to help. What do you say to her, Theodora? What? <laughs> do you actually know what I'm doing? Are you sure you want to help? I feel like you don't know what's happening. I've been eavesdropping on some townspeople. Um, my my snake friend, his like special ability, and how all of our ghosts have special abilities. Uh-huh. Mine is he can move farther away from me than all of y'all's so he like goes and eavesdrops for me and i hear people telling tales about how you want to like bring the barrier down and i would like to go explore the world but it also seems like you have what's the word i'm looking for kind of like villainy intentions and i don't want you to hurt my dad so well it wouldn't be like "Mm, (laughs) let's hurt warden light but uh if he gets in the way, then it might be a problem. Well, that's that's why I came over to see you, because, like, I can't do the thing that Roland and Veltari are doing, because you need a buddy, and no one's dumb enough to try to help me get out. My dad would, you know, put them in jail. And even if I did find someone reckless enough to go in with me, as soon as I got out, I would feel bad about running out of my dad, and then I wouldn't be able to leave because I'd feel guilty. <laughs> so the only way I can leave is if it goes down and... I mean, my dad cares a lot about those old dusty god people, but I've I've never met them. I don't really care about their weird stick in my house. That's what happens when you keep your kids separated from their extended relatives. They get very, <laughs> very disrespectful towards them, and they just can't relate. I mean, I read their books. I, I guess they did nice stuff sometimes, but they don't really seem like they help people down here all that much. No, yeah, I kind of agree. 
how how would you like to help? What would you propose we do about your the whole dad sitch? Here's what I want. I want to see anything else but this place. And I don't want you to hurt my dad. Or, I mean, more realistically, I don't want my dad to have to hurt you, I guess. I'm pretty, I'm pretty strong. I'm not really interested in the whose dad could beat up whose dad thing. <laughs> I'm my own dad, apparently. Who knows? I've, I've, I've read about stranger things. The, the point is, if you have a plan that involves nobody getting hurt and me going to, you know, see stuff, then I'd like to hear it. What? Okay, hear me out. What if we put your dad in a mirror? <sighs> and then, like, we bring it down while he's in there. He can reflect on, no offense, but your dad can be a little bit of a dick sometimes. And I feel like it's not like he's trying to be a dick. He's just kind of closed-minded. So what if we put your dad in the mirror? He's like, oh, wow, I bet a dick. The Titan comes out. Oh, no, the barrier is down. And then... Persuasion check. Right. <laughs> All the skeletons are like persuasion check and they all do that you couldn't see i was doing jazz hands I, that probably enhanced the oh i have the jazziest skeletons what the fuck are my rolls lately Oof. it's a nine she says i'm not gonna put my dad in a mirror you i'd be grounded forever to the end of time what if you help me put your dad in a mirror but you don't actually do it what what could that possibly mean what are the what do those words mean in that order I don't know, like, sneak me in your house, and then, like, you make the mirror, and then, like, you distract him, and I'll push him in from behind. I don't know. You know when he got out, he would destroy you, right? I'm not saying that's what I want to do. I'm just, like, spitballing here. You're you're so bad at negotiation. I'm under a lot of stress lately, okay? <laughs> yeah, I have a lot going on. I have crab cakes in the oven, you know? Just don't understand all of the stuff I'm dealing with here. I have to run a business. I have to bring down a barrier. I've got a lot on my plate, young lady. So I, your best idea was get me to betray my dad? Wait, isn't that what you came here to do? No, I came here to ask if you had an, a pacifist solution to this that just involved breaking of stick. Well, if I break the stick, oh, no, the plan is to break the stick. But how do I break the stick without him knowing? Although he's very sleepy. <laughs> Maybe I just like break it while he's sleeping. I've seen him in that burrito. He's had a rough week, but apparently the trolls and the giants and stuff are taking like watch. Yeah, are they like are they outside or are they inside near the stick? Because I can get around that. I mean, they're patrolling, and also the chains have been re-enchanted because they had they weren't enchanted for people who could melt metal. <laughs> that we, I, we he had just never considered that that was a possibility. But after Zoe did it, we, we went a little heavier on the chain enchantments this time, so they're not going to be tricked. So I couldn't just, like, float under the door as a cloud of gas, then? You could try. I, I actually don't know if that would work. The cost of it not working seems pretty high. Do you know a workaround around the chains? Because, I mean, maybe if we can, like, just, like, have your dad be asleep... Or something like maybe feed him too many mashed potatoes, <laughs> so he has to like sleep really hard, and then like I'll sneak past the guards. You can do something with the chains. I get in, I break it while he's sleeping. I get out. Whoa, what happened? Nobody knows. Okay, putting aside that you think potatoes have some sort of. Have you never eaten a lot of potatoes and then just had to sleep for like ten hours? No, I don't think they're anesthetics. I I I guess I can remove the enchantment on the chains. If that would allow a sneaking mission with plausible deniability. It seems like a thing we only get one chance at, though, because if he wakes up and notices that I did it, I'm in super big trouble. 
Yeah, well, then we push him in a mirror. You'd have to give him a lot of turkey with a lot of Xanax, like, stuffed in it in order to make him that drowsy. Yeah, can we just, like, knock your dad out? I'm not going to poison my dad. Roll persuasion. <laughs> I wasn't actually going to him. That wasn't me talking. I know. I rolled persuasion. I rolled a 21. All right, 21 it, with a better plan than the one who tried to imprison him. She says that if you if you can find an opportune time for a sneaking mission, she will disable the chains for you. That's a thing Grace is willing to do so that this doesn't end in bloodshed. Is that acceptable for you, Theodora? Yes. Okay, I will do some some research. I'll talk to my crew and we'll put this plan together. All right. Well, like what's the signal? Something involving skeletons. Uh, okay, I guess you couldn't just do a firework or something. <laughs> oh, yeah, I just, I was, I was, I was, sorry, I got a little excited. I got a little grandiose with it. No, whatever you need to I do. I was thinking skeleton review, like they all come dancing by or something. I do fireworks in the shape of a potato. That's... <laughs> Why? What is it with potatoes? <laughs> I'm, just say, I'm just writing off what she said, she said earlier. Just You were all hungry. Is it So potatoes are skeletons? Yeah, can just keep an eye out for something spooky. Or potato-based. Oh, okay. I'm leaving. I'm leaving now. Bye. Enjoy enjoy your trip home. She puts her hood back up and just, like, hurries out before you say anything else too sinister and she can't live with being in league with you. (laughs) All right. So here's the thing everyone's been waiting for. Roland and Veltari went into their mirror prison and they have to work through their guilt in order to be eligible to walk out of Ilium, I guess is the best way to put it. And so the way that this appears to the characters themselves is as soon as they touched the mirror, they vanished from where they were and they experienced total blankness, not darkness, not blackness, but just a cessation of any kind of feeling. All their senses were gone. And then one-on-one, they come online. They felt that both of them have felt this twice now because they went in after Azriel and Mardis. But it's not something that you easily get used to after just two kind of experiences. You being kind of reconstructed inside of a magical danger room. <laughs> um, but now I'm going to turn over kind of descriptive DM duties a little bit because I want Veltari and Roland to tell me what they see both of them in this blank space as it fills in around them as their subconscious dumps out in front of them their earliest memory of a time they felt guilt. So when you're ready, Beltaria Roland, just paint us a picture of that early memory. In the distant void of nothing, the most notable thing that shows up in the middle of this scene is a chapel that starts to rise up from the ground and becomes more definely formed as a chapel. And the only people that can be seen before uh, Roland and Valtari are a couple shrouded in cloaks to make it impossible to tell who they are. But they set what is essentially a basket in front of the doors to the church, knock on the door, and immediately uh, retreat before the door opens. For Valtari, she might recognize what this building looks like, given some of the things she's done in the past, (laughs) given the fact that the chapel in question is the Ninsen Chapel uh, in Malia, the city where Roland was born and abandoned immediately uh, and left at the chapel to be taken in by the headmasters of the chapel 
and what basically started his whole life. In in front of Veltari, um, she sees a, a small home in the middle of like I'm gonna say like the fantasy equivalent of like a suburban area. Very very small home. Um, Veltari's got to be maybe six at this point. Like she's pretty young, but she's you know old enough that she's starting to like form some concrete memories. And this is the day that her mother walks out. She'd sort of had an awareness before this that like most people had two parents, and that that was you know a situation that wasn't hers. But this is the day that her human mother decides. She can't continue to look after a tiefling, and as as her mother walks out, she very she very much says, "Look, I'm sorry, but I just can't do this." And she just walks out the door. So, what a current day Veltari and Roland do upon seeing these scenes. Roland looks at what is unfolding in front of him, and then glances over to what uh, Veltari is seeing unfold. And he moves to rest a hand on her shoulder before commenting, neither of these memories are things that we should be feeling guilt about. Whether you should feel guilt about something and whether you do are two very different situations. We don't necessarily feel guilty about things that we're at fault for. We just feel guilty about things that we assume we're responsible for, even if we have nothing to do with it. Veltari, you feel a tug? And you look down and child Valtari is looking up at you. And she says, where are you going? I'm, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. Not, not for a little while, at least. Roland, you see members of the Order of the Merciful Sword open up the doors of the Ninsen Chapel and take the infant Roland inside where he will be trained in the paladin ways and eventually beaten, scarred, and expelled. Mm-hmm. Current Veltari is going to turn to six-year-old Veltari and just sort of lower herself down to about the same height and just and just ask, like, can you tell me what, what you're thinking right now? Child Veltari says, I don't want you to leave me, Mommy. I didn't do anything. It's not my fault. At this point, Veltari's face just drops as she sort of realizes what the situation here is. This sort of, oh no, <laughs> like, I, I, oh no, I'm going to eventually have to leave this place. Oh no. I know that it's scary having people around you leave. It's something that you can't stop happening. And I know that's not what you want to hear right now. But it's not your fault. As you say that, you see the young Veltari and the Ninsen Chapel begin to kind of fade into mist almost, become less real and less concrete as they weigh less heavily on you. But at this point, your subconsciouses continue to kind of conjure other more concrete images around you. And this time I would like both Veltari and Roland to paint me the pictures of the first times you took a life. I think for Veltari, she'd have been probably 15. She'd been living on the street for a while, trying to avoid any any sort of direct confrontations, trying to sort of just stay out of the way, not be seen. And 
this this one particular time she's you know she's sleeping she's sleeping rough on the street and she'd been she'd been sort of busking during the day and someone attempts to rob her in the night of the money she'd made while busking the person that attempts to rob her held her at at sword point and in self defense she attempted to wrestle the weapon off of the attacker and ended up stabbing him through the gut. In Roland's case, the scene that is depicted is one of, it's sort of a a montage of one of the earlier missions he went on when he was finally part of the Order. Uh, There was a group of goblins worshipping one of the different goblinoid deities, maybe Maglubiet or something like that. And... They were kidnapping livestock, among other things, from a nearby village. So he and some of the other members of his group headed out to try to deal with them, try to to regain the livestock, and a fight breaks out. The most notable thing for the memory is the moment right before Roland takes the life of one of the goblins. He strikes at it, it falls out on its back, weapon cast aside, and it's clearly... Uh, either concussed or something similar to that in a helpless state. Roland attempts uh, to attack it, but stops short, just sort of seeing the creature in a helpless state, unable to do anything, while the other members of the team were able to attack their foes without any hesitation. He was in the distance in order to finish the job, but hesitates further until the goblin regains its bearings and tries to attack Roland, at which point he strikes it down in a single blow, leaving it to bleed out on the ground. So you guys see these scenes. Veltari, you watch your past self stab the thief in the stomach, and Roland, you see your younger self strike down this goblin, and you're watching the life ebb from its form, and your past self turns to you, Roland, and says, could I have done more? Could I have spoke with him? We could have offered aid. They're starving. They have families, too. In retrospect, it might have been best for us to raise some proposals on how to resolve this without bloodshed. The hearts and minds of the masses, even those within our forces, are slow to change, even with well-reasoned arguments. The best we can do in situations like this is honor those that we slay as well as we can and make further efforts to prevent it from coming to that in the future. The fact that you felt doubt and you felt guilt about things even then, it's a sign of strength. It's not a sign of weakness. Veltari, your past self says to you, I felt powerful, (laughs) maybe for the first time ever. They can't take whatever they want from me. I can I can fend for myself. You were fending for yourself long before you took your first your first life. You fended for yourself from the day your mother left. And yeah, it did feel powerful. And it's okay that that's a good that that felt positive because you've you had so much taken from you. I can understand why it feels powerful to you know, to be in control when so much of your life feels out of your control for things that were never, never your choice. But 
that was someone with a life of their own, and just because it feels powerful and it feels like you have control doesn't mean that it's always the right solution. As Roland and Beltari are working their way through all the things that have happened to them, more and more of these figures are appearing, all the people they've hurt or let down, or in some way, even if just imagined some slight or injury, they're all one at a time kind of parading around, almost ghostly, these figures, each addressing you and being addressed in turn. And the time that's passing here doesn't feel substantial to you in the moment because you're so caught up in in your own minds essentially but for our audience (laughs) there is a lot of time passing which is why grace was able to let them into the mirror and then leave and go talk to theodora and i just want to be clear about like this takes a while (laughs) we're not going to walk through every single one of these because part of the reason that this is difficult and not available to everyone in town is just because people have a lot of stuff (laughs) there's a lot of trauma and therapy is hard and takes time. And so this goes on for a while. And we're going to cut back and there's going to be more. The depiction almost sounds like you have like, it's like a kung fu film. You have the bad guys like mooks circling around you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So instead of like being fists of fury, it's like feels of fury right there. Just like. And they're doing that thing where they fight you one at a time instead of all right, rushing they you, only fight you one. <laughs> yeah. They can only fight your emotions one at a time because that's just the only way. That's the ninja code to emotional trauma yeah so in no way doing any tonal whiplash zoe what are you up to <laughs> comedy podcasting yeah uh, uh, she's she's working on her stand-up routine mm-hmm. she's uh trying to nail down that cadence to her new bit you know but what's the deal with airline food <laughs> what's an airline <laughs> celestials be like this <laughs> <laughs> What's the deal with freezers? It feels like they're like this big new thing here, but I didn't know about it. Was my family poor? It's not a stand-up bit. This surge is to work through a grief eventually. <laughs> I, I like how nobody questions airships, but freezers are a step too far. Uh, it's where I was like, I haven't played a Final Fantasy game that had a freezer in it. This is nonsense. All right. So what are you up to, nerd? Zoe is headed to the Sacrum. Uh, and I think zoe is going to first uh before going even into the sacrum uh try to find wolf i don't know what he has he is like a, do you have like a tower or like a little fort that he set up no nope. has like <laughs> trolls allowed that would be good now he'd be under a bridge if my memory of mythology is correct now he's just in his field actually when you when you're walking to the sacrum you see um kind of over a hill you see a plume of smoke and as you get closer to it you see that wolf is like sitting on the ground next to ishmael blood mountain who is smoking and of course he is very tall so it looks like there's like a mighty fire from the other side of a hill but it's just him smoking um and he is sitting kind of on the ground with wolf and they're talking as you approach and you hear ishmael say i i just man i lost my cool she came over and she started talking all kinds of yay and i just threw her she she didn't get hurt though she can fly uh hi wolf hi ishmael who didn't get hurt? Oh, hey Zoe! Uh, the the Theodora, the fish girl, crab crab lady. She, she apparently she's gonna try to try to break the tower, and we're pro tower. Are you pro tower? There's a whole thing political. <laughs> uh, you know I don't really like labels. You know I don't really want. Nah, I'm uh I'm definitely pro tower. That's um why I'm kind of here. Uh, but how are you guys doing? 
Well, you're pro tower, so we're pretty good. Ain't gonna squish you, which is what would happen if you were anti tower. I had it with those anti tower people. I was a hero for like a week and I didn't even get to do no hero stuff. Voltari said I couldn't squish you for the murder, so I didn't even get to do any heroing. Oh, uh, well, I'm glad you didn't squish me. That'd have been really bad and unfortunate. That was like gonna be the whole end of my hero arc, and it just <laughs> got talked right out of it. Uh, you know, I think that might have been good because I think that could be the start of a much better hero arc that actually ends heroically. All right. I, listen, it's still on the table. <laughs> I'm listening. Uh, well, let's try to avoid that. Hey, Wolf, uh, real quick. I, I needed to uh, mention something to you real quick. So I don't know all of the details of everything that went down between you and Veltari, but I uh, wanted to let you know that I asked Veltari for that mask that Garrick used to use so that I could help someone else out in Ilium who really needed to get something like that. I'm the last person to know. Apparently, my friend Garrick was a bad guy, but he wasn't even a guy. He was like a snowflake riding around in a skeleton that was wearing a mat. So apparently, it's more complicated than I thought when it was in my head. I thought it was simple as like a kind of a story device, but my feedback has not been <laughs> reassuring. As you say it, I'm starting to realize I don't think I remember all the details about that as much. So I think we're kind of in the same boat. All right. It's fine. It's fine now. You gave away the mask. I mean, it, it gave me a cool cape, but if it, it was really just a thing my friend was wearing. It wasn't him. Well, the good news from it is that that mask is going to go to help somebody else who really needs it. So if nothing else, you can know that that mask going on to do heroic things hell yeah that's like secondhand heroism yeah you're like uh i don't have a nice way to say that so i'm like yeah you're a great hero wolf i, I believe the concept is called sidekick but it's fine well less less of sidekick we're more of like a a league of justice you know i, I believe we already made that reference that's it's well, all, it's well all good. that's that's fine perhaps next time we'll make sure to defend our ideas a little bit more really like uh, defenders of some sort I hate this conversation. <laughs> you could be Iron Fist. Well, now you did. That was five words. <laughs> Smash. You want to throw down? Roll initiative, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, Zoe actually will say, uh, hey, Wolf, uh, I imagine, uh, did you want to play a game of tag or anything like that? <laughs> I mean, if you ain't got no pressing things to deal with, I'll, yeah, we can do. Well, I feel this is some... That could be fun to do. I know that you wanted to have more friends to play games with and things like that. And what's the point of be pro tower if you can't be with uh, other pro tower friends and do fun things? Wolf rolled 11 and I'm also going to roll for Ishmael. Five. He's high. <laughs> so he, he rolls down a hill and then he just decides that's where he's going to be for a while. He's just done. <laughs> he just looks up to the skies like this is my life. I'm going to use Misty Step. Oh, never mind. I got a 16. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> Should I risk wild magic to cheat? Or, or no, I won. It's fine. <laughs> never mind. I, I'm amazing, guys. Yeah. So I guess you beat Wolf. What's the in, in lore explanation for that? Did he let you win? Uh, I think Zoe's just really like uh, she's in a Zen place right now. And uh, it's paying dividends for her. And also, I think uh, Wolf maybe is uh, getting some secondhand high. And, <laughs> there uh, it is. <laughs> it's going to slow him down a little bit. There it is. 
All right, so you play with Wolf a bit, and you guys have firmly established a pro-tower bond between the three of you. Um, for those keeping score at home, my, our map of this war is, I guess, 8-8. Eight to eight. On Theodora's side, we have Theodora, Asriel, Robin, Claudia, Stalker, Carrie, Grace, and Skeletons as one unit. On Team Zoe, we have Zoe, Claire, Penny, Wolf, Light, Mardis, Ishmael, and Sylvia. So you don't have to memorize all that, but I feel like I should get it on tape. There it is. I feel like it is of note to mention that both of those teams are of equal sizes currently. Because that's not something I picked up on last week by listening to the list of voices, is that currently there's eight people on each side. Although I've counted skeletons as one. You can decide <laughs> if that's unfair. <laughs> in, in terms of skeletons, am I right that only one can be controlled at a time at the moment? Only one can be directly controlled, yeah. The rest of them are on kind of autopilot. So if someone attacks the house, they will face the wrath of all the skeletons because they go into defense mode. But if Theodora wants to mount an assault, no, she can only get one to go with her at a time. Okay. All right. So now that that all is cleared up, I think, Zoe, you want to finish your sojourn to the tower? Yes, she will finish her sojourn, to use a very fancy word. (laughs) okay subtweeting austin right to his face cool um zoe you go to the sacrum um (laughs) you are going to arrive just a couple minutes after uh grace gets home maybe uh you see that she has like tracked some mud in to the chapel area or something but she has just beaten you there so you don't get, get a chance to maybe know that she's been sneaking out intrigue but of course, you can knock on the door. They'll let you up. Uh, all of the inhabitants of the tower are home currently now. Grace, Mardis, and Light. Uh, Mardis is up on the roof just watching the mirror in case something goes wrong. Uh, Grace is making mashed potatoes for some reason. It's a mystery. And Light is on the couch and he has an ice pack on his face. And he's just laying there. Uh, well, Zoe is going to uh, give passing hellos to uh, Mardis and, and Grace if she passes by them. Uh, but she is uh, making a beeline towards light right now. Okay, yeah, he's there. He's not gonna be. He's not gonna open discussions with you because he's just. He's had a rough week, and he's <laughs> he needs some time. Zoe's going to walk up and say, "Hi, Warden Light. Are you okay? Did you hurt your face?" <laughs> oh, Sister Legrand. No, I'm physically all right. It uh, it's been emotionally draining. The returning memories. The stress, the everyone finding out about Grace, Mardis's return. It's, if I can be of assistance to you, I would like to be. But unless it's urgent, I'm probably not going to stand up. I hope that's all right. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's fine. I, I feel bad now because this is, I feel like another thing onto your day. But I think it is kind of important for us to talk about the barrier and... I'm sure you've kind of already heard the rumors going around. Yes, at this point, I wouldn't call them rumors so much as headlines. (laughs) I kind of wanted to talk to you about what your thoughts are on the people who want to take down the barrier. My thoughts? I mean, we have plenty of mirrors, so they're free to try. Yeah, um... I worry that we'll run out of wall space, but there are always more walls. Do you think that's the best response to that? I, I I don't mean to like act like that's accusatory or anything like that, but I 
I kind of have found out a lot about myself recently, which had me reevaluating a lot of the ways I was doing things. And I kind of just want to have a discussion with you about whether or not that's the best way to react to the people who want to leave. Even if my entire worldview has been tilted a little bit and the things I thought were important aren't quite so much these days, I still think what I'm doing here and what this tower is, is in everyone's best interest. And I think that's important, but I think, and the same goes for me too, it I think is also really important for us to talk about these sorts of things. And maybe we can use our insights to help one another and stuff. Oh, hey, one last thing. Uh, and she's going to like summon her keyblade. She's like, uh, which god made this? Because I can't read the symbols and stuff on it. <laughs> okay. Um, he takes the ice pack off his face. And I do want to <laughs> just reiterate this entire conversation involved him having his face covered. And he looks at your holy sword and he says... Much like the spine itself, I believe that this is somewhat of a collaborative effort. It seems like you have uh, some guardian angels, as it were, <laughs> watching over you. That's that's reassuring. Yeah, I mean, it sounds a little cliche when you say it with that particular, you know, euphemism. But still, I get it. You know, it's funny, Zoe, is guardian angels are a feature of pretty much every religion. They, of course, don't always go by that name, but almost every single tradition has a roughly equivalent concept. It's funny to think about that everyone arrived at the same idea of supernatural spirits who don't intervene directly, but kind of watch over you. Yeah, um, I'm just saying it's weird when an angel talks about having a guardian angel. <laughs> um, so I think the next thing, and this is something that's been kind of lurking for what? two episodes now almost three hours total of podcast probably more uh is that at some point zoe and dora are gonna need to have a conversation i'm ready yeah it works for me yeah all right so uh, zoe you're gonna head on over there and in the meantime though we're gonna cut back to roland and veltari you guys are still dealing with them with some stuff this is kind of a, a free form one do you guys have any particular moments that you want to sketch out for us just kind of play in that space Roland reaches out with his hand to rest it on yet another facsimile of himself standing in front of him. The various incarnations of Roland in his past seeming to bring up grievances about similar issues, but in different circumstances of slaying someone when there could have been another answer, bringing someone to imprison them when they may not in fact have been guilty of their accused crime. Now, this is all outside of Ilium, even, uh, with a f few instances from within Ilium coming up. You know, these these events do not come up in chronological order. They seem to come up in order of difficulty, as it, <laughs> instead. At one point, he sort of takes a moment to glance around and see sort of what does the circle of shame seem to look like austin does it does it seem thinner than it was before or i don't know if i'd i'd say thinner so much as just less uh solid like as as you guys deal with them they sort of turn more misty mm -hmm. um as they as they become like less heavy on your soul as it were so they don't ever go away mm -hmm. but they feel lighter i i think this might be a good time for something i was thinking of is while 
Roland's circle of of guilt is sort of um getting less tangible and seemingly staying that way at least for now um i think for veltari as time's gone on she's you know tried to sort of fumble her way through through a lot of these guilt memories and at first when she deals with them they do go sort of um you know less solid and less tangible but as she's working through them, some of the ones that had gone a bit sort of clear and translucent are starting to go solid again. I think she's sort of panicking a bit that she's not doing it right, and just sort of some of the ones she's already st- she's already dealt with once are already sort of coming back around, and they're not staying translucent permanently. It seems there's no need to try to force yourself to rush through this, Veltari. I thought I, I thought I had this. They they were, they were going clear. They were doing the thing that yours are doing, and I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Roland's going to take a moment to almost take take like an inventory of what Veltari is seeing around her, and seeing if there's any sort of trend or pattern to what she's seeing. Her earliest memories of guilt are somewhat unique. In that they are about things like fear of fear of abandonment, um, being you know being abandoned, being left. But a lot of the ones that come after seem to share a theme of out of not wanting to be abandoned, she tried to make herself in control of everything. I, I think that's the core of it. As I think a lot of them are just rooted in in Veltari not wanting to feel abandoned again. Seems to be like seems to probably be what caused her to do a lot of the things she feels guilty for. So there are a lot of different Veltaris through Mm. your life, getting older and older and more confident and more confident, although obviously internally with all of the abandonment issues and self-esteem issues and uncertainties and all of that. But on the outside, all of the, the images of you are like, are going from, you know, dagger and guitar to sword and covered in blood and doing all kinds of back room deals and stuff. And finally you get to one that you see a vision of yourself, almost modern day talking to count Danto. Mm. And this vision of Veltari is is so solid. It's almost indistinguishable from current Veltari. And you see her kind of talking to a, a vision of count Danto and she turns away from him with her sword drawn and kind of marches off into the vision of the Ninsen chapel that is also in this space with you because it's been the subject of some of Roland's memories. And at this point, these two, your two scenes are basically merging and kind of crashing into each other as they, they centralize and something's going on inside the chapel. Roland, I, I knew we were going to get here and we're going to have to, we're going to have to go in there. We're going to have to, face this one but looking at all of these things around me I don't know how I got here I didn't want to be abandoned and I wanted to protect myself and look out for myself when no one else would but I still don't know how that became this Roland pauses for a moment and then he says back just sort of with a soft smile to Valtari I have a feeling that I might know what's going to be beyond those doors. We both came in here to face what we have done, understand it, and have peace with it. I have a feeling that the reason why we're seeing this is because whatever's in there 
is also tied to why I'm here. Not going through this alone is a comfort. <laughs> I know we're, this is not a race to see who can get out of the mirror first, since we're both we're going to be tied at first place no matter what. <laughs> if it was a race, I think you'd be winning. <laughs> I don't know. You're the self-proclaimed expert, after all. <laughs> uh, I thought so, and then all of my 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 you know invisible ghost memories started becoming solid again, and then you know. <laughs> Turns out, I might have bigged up my role in the prison breaks a little bit. <laughs> Let's get to it. And then Roland sort of like leads Valtari over to the, the doorway to the, nin- the Ninsen Chapel and proceeds to open it to see what's inside. You throw open the doors of the Ninsen Chapel and it seems bigger inside than you remember. And it seems like the room stretches on forever. The weight of having to walk to the other side of the room and see what happened, roots you to the floor. So before you can even move, you hear footsteps coming towards you. And it's Veltari. Not the current Veltari, but not too far in the past, except her eyes are aflame, and her sword is covered in blood. And she says to you two, I did what I had to do. I didn't even lose any sleep over it. I joked about it with Danto. It's hard to be non-compliant when you're dead. (laughs) That's what I said. And it's true. If they had just agreed to our terms, I wouldn't have had to do it. We used to be that strong, Veltari. Now look at you. You can't go a day without crying. You wouldn't last an hour on the street now. Look at this place has done to you. Roland... Nothing that she says is wrong. After what I did here, I went and I laughed about it. (laughs) You remember what I was like when I turned up here. Do you know what? Looking at me now, looking at this version of me stood in front of me, it puts everything into perspective. (laughs) Of course my mother left. Of course everyone leaves. I was a terrible person and anyone who was near me should have gotten away. There is... (laughs) There is no one who is better off for having had me around. How could I move on from feeling guilty when this recently I was this terrible? Well, why do we even feel guilty about it right now? What's different? I guess the difference is I found someone that was willing to stick around without, you know, without me having to go kill people. It's a nice change of pace. The Phantom Veltari says, This is sickening. You two, you sound like chapters from a self-help booklet. Roll initiative. Oh god. <laughs> Eleven. Eleven? How fitting! <laughs> yep. How fitting that both Veltaris got eleven on initiative. I know, I'm, we're, I'm using your character sheet to fight you. <laughs> <laughs> and we both rolled exactly the same. Spooky. Roland goes first, though. The Phantom Veltari raises her bloodstained sword to you. As the Phantom Veltari raises her sword, Roland mutters a quick word to uh, bless his own sword, the sacred weapon trait uh, from the paladin side, after which he then moves to strike at Valtari primarily to disarm her of her blade. 23 for the attack roll. Yep, that hits. So that's 12 damage for the first attack, and if we do a second attack, that'd be 15. I'm assuming that's a miss. 
Uh, no, 15 hits armor class. Yeah, first damage was 12, second damage was 7. So a total of 19 on two attacks against her. All right, so you swing with your paladin sword and you just take a bite out of her shoulder and just blood starts sp- spurting out of the spirit thing, this out of the spirit Veltari, but she doesn't seem phased at all. She she smiles as if it's funny. Veltari, you can go. I feel like Veltari knows exactly the uh, the ability she has that would deal with her the most effectively. I'm going to cast fear. I have to make a wisdom saving throw. Yeah, wisdom saving throw. Uh 23. Damn. That's probably a save. <laughs> yes, Phantom Veltari saves against Veltari's fear. So you strum a guitar at her and she just no sells the magic walking through it. Yeah. And she tries to stab you with her sword. Uh, five, that's gonna miss. What's the what's the problem, huh? Afraid afraid to take a proper hit at me. <laughs> Roland frowns at the Phantom Veltari and states directly to her, Your confidence masks your inability to make decisions of your own. Then he's going to strike at her. So first attack rolls thirty-one. Mm-hmm. Uh, second attack roll, let's do that, both, is another 31. Statistically unlikely. <laughs> um, and his damage for both, for each attack, is 10 and 11, so 21. Alright, so you plunge your sword through Phantom Veltari's back as she's trying to fight regular Veltari, and she just, while impaled on your sword just looks back over her shoulder at you and then starts walking towards you backwards to further impale herself on your blade and just staring you in the eye. She says, it's all right. I deserve this. Veltari, it's your turn. I'm going to try casting fear again. I'm going to try to wisdom save. Wow. 21. That's going to save too. Veltari knows what she's afraid of. She has at least some knowledge of like, look, if I could make you feel what, you know, if I could make you have to confront what I know you feel, we could sort this. The guilt Veltari walks off of Roland's sword and swings at you twice. 11 at 19. 19 going to hit for the first time. Yep. Only three damage. She nicks your arm while you're trying to play your guitar. And she is just bleeding from a gaping hole in her stomach and bleeding from her shoulder. And she's just smiling like this is just the funniest thing that's ever happened to her. Why are you finding this so funny? What is so funny to you? Because the old you wouldn't have hesitated for a second. You would have struck me down a dozen times by now. And you're just going to let yourself die here. The old me would have struck you down, and you know what? The old me would never have gotten out of this place because of striking you down. I need to deal with the fact that you exist. Killing you and pretending that you're not a part of me is never going to change the fact that you exist. I can stab you, but what is that going to do for me dealing with all of this messed up stuff in my head? And I know that you know what I'm on about because you're me. Even if I don't kill you here and now, this weakness is going to get you killed one day. You know that, right? You know what? I'd rather this weakness get me killed than my previous weakness get people who don't deserve it killed. Because you know what? If I get killed for this weakness, then I probably deserve it. If, if I get killed 
for having a conscience. It won't make up for the people, the innocent people I killed, but it'll be a start for their families at least. The guilt Veltari puts her blade to your throat and she says, are you really willing to die for that? You're really willing to discard all of the instincts you honed that kept you alive all those years? I'm not going to discard them. I'm going to put them to use for the things that matter to me. Not the things that matter to someone who's telling me who to kill. And when you take a knife in the back because you trusted the wrong person in some no-name town in three years, you're not going to regret this moment? If I'm still alive three and a half years from now, and I have to look back at another list of a dozen people that I killed who didn't deserve it, that I know I'm going to regret. The guilt Veltari swings her sword at your neck, but it by the time it reaches you, it is insubstantial mist, and it passes over your throat without leaving a mark. And the phantom Veltari is still there, but not solid enough to hurt you. For now. At this point, I think Veltari just falls to the floor. She just doesn't know what to do. Roland is going to uh, sheathe his blade, uh, sling his shield back over his shoulder, and then kneel down to rest a hand on Veltari for a moment uh, before he looks out into the expanse of the chapel itself to see if there's anything in there, anything that kind of confirms his suspicions of what has happened. As you look down the chapel towards the pulpit area and what used to be kind of an improbably architectured room that was distorted around you. It has, while you were engaged at fighting the, the guilt Veltari, it has reshaped itself back into the normal proportions that you're familiar with. And you see two bodies laying in a pool of their own blood. And they are the people who raised you and who Veltari slew on Count Danto's orders. Looks like it's time for me to take care of something here, Veltari. Veltari watches on, but doesn't say anything. She's just a bit sort of in shock, possibly. Roland, you know, stands and slowly walks over to the bodies of Assard and Tain, for slowly just kneeling down. He just he he uh rests his hand on one and then the other for a moment, and after a short pause, he says, "This has always been the problem for me, ever since I." studied about the triad, I felt that the ideals of duty, justice, and compassion, and suffering could work together in such a way where I could help everyone, I could save everyone from being the target of any undue suffering, and it's taking me far too long to realize that I can't protect everyone. I can't protect everyone no matter what I do, and every Every choice I make will ultimately lead to someone else's suffering. Roland, you feel a hand on your shoulder, and a voice says, Those are the excuses of a coward. You could have saved them. Roland pushes the hand off his shoulder and moves to stand and turn to face to face Galen. What does Galen Kadun look like, your superior, who ordered you to slaughter the orc civilians, which their refusal to do 
led to you being expelled from the Order of the Merciful Sword. It looks kind of like the prototypical paladin. He actually has a a handsome look to his face. He has a militaristic sort of cut to his hair. You know, he speaks and moves with a sense of confidence and authority that many people don't have. When Roland looks to Galen, he just sort of sort of shakes his head lightly. If I had stayed to save them, that would lead to other bouts of bloodshed if right away. It's always one excuse or another with you. Time after time, you have a chance to save lives, and every time you choose the coward's way. Anything to keep you from swinging the sword we trained you to use. You see, he has the one hand you brushed off. His other is holding a two-handed, basically, buster sword that the Order of the Merciful Sword is famous for using, and he puts his other hand on it now. And you know that that doesn't so much cut you in half as the sheer force breaks you in half. When, when it's swung at full strength. Tell me, how many lives are you saving by selling out the order to the vampire? Is that how you sleep at night? You blame me? It's all my fault? I'm the villain? You don't know what those orcs would have done if we hadn't stopped them. Were you prepared to have that hang over you? No, you would have hid behind me, like you always do. How do you even know that that's what they were going to do. How can you be so sure? They were orcs. Roll initiative. <laughs> Seventeen. Seven. I'm thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do something, but not something that's combat related. So I'm not gonna join the initiative as of yet. Roland just draws out his long sword, gripping it with two hands, since he doesn't have the large. The, the great swords that of the the order 26 on the attack roll just a 26 <laughs> yeah just a meager 26 and uh he's going to he's going to expend a level 2 spell slot to to impose a a smite on it so that's going to be uh 48 plus 5 damage 25 damage on the attack nice so you bring your long sword down on his sword arm Lopping it off, the arm hits the ground and begins to form into another paladin of the Order of the Merciful Sword as Galen Kadun's kind of spiritual guilt form recoalesces and now there are two paladins facing you down. This is a, a good time. I want to head over towards this. All right. So you're going to join this fray? I'd like to join the fray and draw out the sword that Roland gave to me. Mm-hmm. And before I do anything else, I just want to say to uh, the, the two um, Order of the Merciful Sword folk opposite, I just want to say to them, you assume based on people's race that you know who or what their morals are. Roland took a chance on me, in spite everyone's judgment to the contrary. And I'm a better person for it. Galen motions towards the two bodies on the ground, and he says, I guess Roland isn't much of a judge of character then, is he? I am going to cast... I'm going to cast my favorite spell, Hypnotic Pattern. Uh, 10 and 15. (laughs) 
both Galen Kaydun and the unnamed paladin look up at your big hypnotic pattern. I, I want to continue to shout at them, just, Roland could have killed me. He could have done so and felt no gu- uh, no guilt and justified it to himself, but he'd have been no better than, than me if he'd done that. He He knew what I did, and he still helped me to change who I am. I think he has nothing to feel guilty uh, about over that. You know what? What you said to me way back when I got into the Order, when you first saw me, you said, I don't belong. You were right. When Warden Light questioned my, my conviction, he was right. Everything that I've been trying to do when it came to the Order built on built on a lie I've had about myself that I could devote myself blindly to a cause unquestioningly taking my duty to the very end without having any doubt for what I'm doing that is ultimately why I threw myself in front of the in front of the tribunal that's why I put myself through that torture and to be ejected from the Order, not to protect my friends, but because I knew at that point I didn't deserve to be there. As you say that, Galen turns and looks at you, and you realize neither of the paladins were actually entranced (laughs) by the hypnotic pattern because they don't have minds to entrance. They're, They're you, and they both look at you, and they have your face rolling. And they just walk towards you and like ghosts or like smoke just pass through you and join the other versions of you which encircle you. Each one becoming less solid as you confront it. And Roland and Veltari are left standing in the chapel, weapons drawn, (laughs) facing each other. I just want to quietly go over and just give Roland a hug. Aww. Aww. Not, not any words, just... just Hugs. Just hold on to him for a minute. It's been a rough one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sure has. And we still got a bit of work to do. But for the next scene in our comedy show... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zoe, you make it over to Hawthorne House. The skeletons let you in. Dora, what are you up to? Hi, I exist still. I'm still here. Uh, also, hi, Lauren. <laughs> I, I wouldn't know that Zoe was, like, coming. So I can sense her heartbeat. And I peek out the window because I'm nosy, and I'm like, oh, it's Zoe. So when she, like, gets to the door, I open it, I'm like, I'm going to be like, I've been wondering when you're going to come here. I'm just going to mute my mic. This is between y'all. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it, this is really weird. I don't know how to like react to like going to the front door of this place. I can like sneak around the back and break through one of the windows or something. That might feel I would have been there too. Please don't break my windows. I don't mean to. It's just it's it's familiar at this point to like break windows and stuff at the Hawthorne house. Yeah, no, I feel you. So sup. Uh Jay thought I'd come by to talk since uh yeah. Um do you want me to go inside or Yeah, come in. I feel like the skeletons will get agitated if we just like stand in the doorway. They'll be like, "What do we do?" Yeah, yeah, we want the skeletons to feel awkward. No, they're good boys. 
Yeah, I can see that. I like the dapper one that you have with you. That's Theodore. He's my he's my buddy. Theodore. Do you ever get confused with Theodore and Theodora? No, because I know my own name. Oh, touche. And most people just call me Dora. You really smashed that in my face. Touche. People don't go, hey, Dor, like when they see Theodore, because that's not a thing. So I guess he'd be Theo and I'd be Dora and the two together are Theodora. That's pretty good. I don't know. Uh, this is not important. We have important, important things to talk about, Zoe. Yeah, I you know, just thought a little levity to help lighten the mood for what could be a kind of heavy conversation, you know. True. Dora's going to walk over to her, like, a couch, I guess, and then, like, pat the seat next to her and be like, come, sit. Is it a spooky couch? Uh, always. Okay. It's, like, velvet, and there's, like, decorative fake skulls or something. I don't know. So Zoe will sit down and uh, basically just face Dora and just come out and say it and say, so why do you want to destroy the barrier? I have a lot of reasons. I am a complicated woman. For one, it's what Ganadar wants, right? Also, I think it's kind of fucked up for people to be trapped in here forever. And yeah, you, you can go absolve your guilt, but what about the people like me who have been around for thousands of thousands of years? How long is that going to take? I feel like the guilt thing in the barrier is kind of not fair to her, to her to just be stuck there all the time. Here's my plan, Zoe. And I think it's a good plan. And you may not agree or whatever. But my plan is that I'm I'm going to take down the barrier. Um, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna let everybody who wants to leave, they're gonna leave. And then I'm working with some uh, other people and we're gonna put a new barrier up so that the people who wanna stay and be protected will stay and be protected. I think that's the best solution for everybody. Uh, so Zoe will pause for a moment, kind of like contemplative, and she's just going to say, I admire your desire to kind of help everybody, because that's what I'd like to, but I'm not sure if a new barrier will work. Why not? Well, I mean, how would you make a new barrier? Uh, Asriel's working on it. We also are going to need the orb from the sacrum to make it work. But it's actually very, we can do it. We can make a new barrier. Like, we have the, the skills. We could build a wall. <laughs> it would be a barrier that people could come into later, though? Because what about the people who haven't come to Ilium yet, who need the place as a sanctuary? Um, I should probably look into that, yeah. It's a work in progress, I think. There's also just the notion that if it's a spell, it could be dispelled. I mean... That's true, but I'm hoping that over a long term, knowing Ganny, if I take this down, he will reward me. It could be that, you know, it might take a while, but over the long term, I can, as, I gain, as I become more powerful, I can teach myself to spell someday, maybe. It's just, I understand the people who need to stay here, but what about the people who are stuck here? Why do they have to stay here forever? Uh, there's really no answer to that. And why is it okay to just, like trap i guess a concept i don't know what she is here i understand it's not a perfect plan because i'm bad at making plans that's not my that's not my thing it's not what i normally do i just like shoot magic at things and stuff happens or you know i play pranks or make out with cute girls but so this is all very new territory for me but i just it's what i gotta do it's what i gotta do is what i gotta do 
And I'd really, it'd just be really cool if you didn't try to stop me. Like, just don't, just don't. You know, just like, don't. I, I'm sorry, Dora, but. Just don't, just don't. I'm not convinced that's a plan that'll work. I don't think the barrier itself, the guilt or Aurora or whatever, I don't think it's something that a spell that we create later on can replicate. I think this is the only Ilium that's ever going to be. And I want to protect that. And part of that comes with reconciling with the fact that it means I'm protecting a place that's going to keep some really good people trapped here. And that sucks. And I'm still trying to figure out how to live with that completely. But the alternative is to take away this home from a lot of people and... I just, I can't do that, Dora. Well, I I understand that. Can I, can I show you something? Is it going to be more skeletons and suits? No, no, I want to, I want to show you what Azriel and I have been working on. Oh, uh, sure. Okay, so, um, yeah, we'll see if this works. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna lead her up to like the workshop. Chris is gonna hear this, but Zoe won't know. <laughs> I'm gonna use message to message Azrael mm-hmm. while I'm on my way up there and be like, because uh, the the giant box is still up there, right? The ghost box? Yeah. Yeah, it's empty. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm gonna tell Azrael. I'm coming up with Zoe when she turns around. Help me get her in the box. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good season. <laughs> All right. So, Dora, you lead Zoe upstairs to Azrael's workshop slash Maximilian Hawthorne's old workshop slash the place where the box that used to hold the ghosts is. And as you guys enter the room... Azrael hits Zoe with telekinesis, so that's a strength contest. <laughs> Ooh, that's my best skill. Oh, wait, no, it's that thing I'm god-awful at. Uh, and I rolled a 15, holy shit! All right, so it's going to be 15 versus what I roll here. Ooh. 10. Oh! <laughs> oh. Ooh. So Zoe and... Theodora, turn the corner. Zoe, you lift up a couple inches off the ground before you twist yourselves out of Azrael's control. But you see there is a very spooky squid-headed man with doing the psychic thing where he has his hands held out in front of him as if he's trying to manipulate you. Uh, what do I roll to conk Zoe over the head with the staff? <laughs> to bonk fucking... <laughs> just, just to knock her out. <laughs> to, to blackjack <laughs> Unfortunately, D&D does not come equipped with a single role you can win a yeah. fight with. That's not really fair, but yeah. If you guys want a strength contest. Oh, come on, dude. I rolled an 18. It's never going to be that good. <laughs> oh, 11. That's not nearly as good. I mean, my luck has been real bad lately, so... <laughs> 10! Oh, jeez. <laughs> Zoe with the luck rolls here. <laughs> I know. So Theodora and Zoe start tussling. And once again, Zoe, you slip out. You have a second. Azrael and Theodora are about to overpower you. They're two very strong characters. What do you do in this moment of two strength rolls for your sorcerer warlock? Misty step. Misty Uh, step. Oh, this is going to be bad. But uh, 
All right. So what what Zoe's gonna do is uh you know uh, summon the sword with one hand and the other hand uh cast wind wall and just separate it like basically smash the wind wall goes right between Zoe and then the other side where D- Dora and Azriel are. All right. So wild magic roll three. So a three. I love this one. This is the first one I thought of when I made this table. I don't know if that means anything. It's not like the best or worst. It's just the first thought I had. So you drop a wind wall to separate you from your attackers. And that's at that point, you hear a mighty cracking noise as if God had crushed a bag of potato chips underneath you. And the source of that sound is quickly revealed as... The floor explodes. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, fuck. And a mighty redwood tree. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> bursts through the second floor and then through the roof and keeps going because you have grown an entire tree on the spot you were standing, which has now impaled Dora's house. <laughs> I mean, now my house is technically a tree house, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> She's got wood in there, so that's all good. As always, I'd like to thank Overclocked Remix for our theme music, including Acoustic Jam at the Lucifer Alpha, arrangement of Biohazard from Snatcher, Vampire Spanker, an arrangement of Vampire Killer from Castlevania, and Destiny Forgotten, an arrangement of Simple and Clean from Kingdom Hearts. Executive producers for Dice Funk for the month of September 2017 are Kerstin Haslinger, Jade, Extellaris, Joseph Tombrello, The Cult of Gorfanax, Dr. Goatman, Irving Royale, Ken Fursell, Andrew Grothen, Paul Mullen, Levi the Young, Luke Powers, Michael Goodell, Brent, Kevin Dobbins, Anthony Sauvier, Ziphasurus, Elderly Goose, Salad Child, Sarah Stone, Thorsten Gross, Devin Smith, Castor UK, Aki Savalainen, Iso, The Paladin's Wife, Florian H., Charm Wilkie, Komano the Komenu, The Future Mr. and Mrs. Hadsel, Dominic Bowden, Melissa Nielsen, Don, Eugene T, Connor Reynolds, Sarah Likens, Pruitt Holcomb, Artemis BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Bristol, Francois V, Shyness, Dennis Pancake Detlefson, Ripter Stormwolf, Miko from Finland, Dennis Bangston, Josh Mosier, and Dingo Van Dane, Allison Ansel, Sydney Marzing, Justa Jester, John Potts, Savard and Akrasimova, Brady Warner, Kitty Foe, James Neely, Marissa Donaldson, Melanie Joe, Lana Seawolf, Toby Gleason Stack, Ruby Offer, Matthew Weber, Sarah Hanley, Melissa Booker, Cameron Abbas, Dylan, Gary Sayon, Anna Stulfar, Sean, the host of Funk Dunk Plays, Giorgio Renna, Harrison Andrew, Kevin Sidlow, Christopher Charlo, Jorrit, Viger Arnston, Cody Jackson, August Rue, Athos, and Ingmar Gremmen.
If you want to join this list and help support the show, you can find me at patreon.com slash austinyorski. You can also find Chris at patreon.com slash recap, and you can help support Laura by finding her work at kotaku.co.uk. If you want to help support the show indirectly, you can always find us on YouTube, Podbean, Google Play, iTunes, and probably like a hundred other places. And subscribe, comment, rate, share, or if you're listening to this in the far future, uploading it to your neural network. And if you're listening to this in the far, far, far future, I hope you're enjoying the HBO2 adaptation of this season, although I think it's strange they cast Shia LaBeouf Jr. in the role as Robin. Not my first choice, but I respect the artistic integrity of our alien overlords, who I hope will be resurrecting me shortly so that we can record season eight. That's the sex season.